to episode 77 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 25th of November, 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Good evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So here we are, the midst of the general election campaign. We can't possibly talk about who we're going to vote for. We should mention that you can still register to vote, though. That's a good thing to say, isn't it? Not for much longer. Yeah. Yeah, you can encourage people to vote, just not for whom to vote. So definitely go out and vote. Unless you like Brexit, then get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. We're going to get uh, shut down by the Electoral Commission or something. So let's move swiftly on. So, uh, yeah, later on, we're going to be talking about macOS. macOS on a Linux podcast. <laughs> well, Will's been forced to use it for the last two weeks. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it compares to Linux. And we'll do KDE Corner as well. But before that, let's do some news and start with some Google stuff. They're going to kill cloud print at the end of next year, 2020. I've never used it, have any of you? Let, let me just interrupt you there. What is this? Because it sounds like a combination of my two most hated things in technology, <laughs> the cloud and fucking printers. Is this where like you get DDoSed by an entire data center of PC load letter? Or what the fuck is it? Well, basically, if you've got a machine hooked up to a printer via USB that has Chrome on it, you can use cloud print from an Android device or whatever, or any other device running Chrome. That's my understanding, at least. You could do it from a Linux machine if you've got Chrome installed and you signed into your Google account. Um, and I've used it for people with Chromebooks who you couldn't directly at the time connect a printer to their Chromebook, so you'd have to add their account to your account via cloud print, and then they could print from your printer. Can they print, like, from anywhere in the world? Yeah, they could, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I keep sending print jobs to this. Why the fuck is it not printing some poor bastard that's the house you're in like three weeks ago has got 500 pages of shit everywhere? But for a while, it was the only way you could print with a Chromebook. And I imagine Google wanted it to, you know, it, I mean, the wording for this is very enterprisey as well, you know, in terms of finding a solution within 12 months. Um, and I'm sure they used it. They wanted it in office environments where the printer was managed via their own services. A lot of printers had support built in, um, which I assume means that they were themselves their own print server. And so they were on your network. You could just discover them and print to them from a Chromebook without having to share via another device. Yeah, I think you're right. Although the, my printer's got it, but it's just like it never worked. Mm. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I can't even get fucking USB printing to work half the time. Yeah. So fuck trying to get it to work over the network and even over like cloud services. It's just more complication. So, you know, I used to be able to print from Linux and then I think I updated from 1404 to 1604 and it just broke. But I had a Windows 7 partition on there. So I just boot into that and print. That has stopped working most of the time like randomly it'll print and so now i use my ancient mac which is running like a 10.7 lion or whatever and that literally i plugged the printer in it said hey you need these drivers i was like yeah okay put my password in installed it and then ever since it has worked literally every single time flawlessly and you might say who needs to print well i don't like to talk about it too much but for my charity work yeah <laughs> print out stuff for the, the cat charity that I volunteer for. Um, I have to print out forms and shit all the time. Oh, fuck, it is a genuine charity, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it genuinely is. I actually do charity work, so fuck you. Well done, Joe. We're proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. You said um, so all right, Well, uh, 
all all the money that's resting in my account from that charity work uh, will be going into my new Google bank account next year. Not. It's okay. They won't sell it to advertisers. Tra la 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 la. Sure, they won't. They'll just give it away. <laughs> I'm surprised this hasn't happened before. I imagine they'd be very, very careful. But I think generally banking has been crying out for like a Gmail solution. You know, like what what Gmail did to labels and conversations. I would love to have that kind of function in my bank account. I think there is, though. Is that not that Resolute card that came out a while back? Yeah, and I think it's, it is beginning to happen. But I mean... This this idea has been around since since Gmail, um, and I don't even suspect that Google's own checking account, which is what this is about, with Citigroup and Stanford Credit Union. So I guess it's US only. Is probably it's probably not going to support those services. It's probably just going to be more buy into Google's ecosystem. But I do love the idea of a bank account that would at least know when I buy stupid stuff on Amazon, it goes in my stupid stuff category. I think you should definitely check out Revolut and Monzo in the UK because they've been doing this sort of thing for a long time now. I think Monzo, in, in my opinion, are a little bit head, uh, ahead of um, Revolut. But yeah, you can you can set up sort of virtual uh, savings accounts or virtual pots, I think they call them, inside your current account uh, and then apply labels and sorting and filtering um, and limits and things like that. And um, it's some of the features they've got in there are really impressive. And you're right, it's it's something that we've been crying out for for a long time. And, and I'm surprised that Google are getting into it so late. I think that Monzo and people like that are, are far enough ahead now that it won't be a threat. Um, and also, I hope that the, the normals will sort of view the Google having their financial in, uh, information as being so bad, so terrible, that they will start to think a bit more about cookies and tracking online and start putting the pieces together in their own minds. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think we've mentioned it, but Google also bought Fitbit. So they've got your menstrual data. They've got your heart data. They've got your what you find exciting data all linked to your bank account. God, it's terrifying. Mm. Yeah. Fuck knows what they do with my menstrual data. <laughs> but uh, Revolut are a shower of bastards, according to articles that came out earlier this year. Um, from insiders within the company. Mm. So I, I've got one. I've got a card for using when I'm in America. But um, yeah, I feel a bit bad about using it, having read some of those. And not to mention, I was, it was funny in that article that linked to the fact that um, Apple credit was giving women far less than men for the same, like in the same family and stuff for as mm. a credit limit. So, uh, yeah, they were all talking about the algorithm that's in control and nobody can, can control the algorithm and stuff. So it uh, sounds great. Do any of you actually think that this Google account will take off? Do you think people will be queuing up to use it? I think it might have more chance if they spelled checking correctly. <laughs> I was actually going to ask that. What the fuck is a checking account? Is that a current account? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Okay. For what? Taking checks in? Is that what it is? Or do you constantly keep checking to see if the money's in there? <laughs> no, it's check because they spell check as in that old school thing that you used to write on to pay people. They spell that. C-Z-E-C-H. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. No, no. They spell it C-H-E-C-K. Rather than with a Q like we do. And it's very confusing. Fuck. The checks in the mail right. and all that. Anyway, that's enough Google talk. Um, so Steam's remote play together is out of beta. Um, uh, we now cross to our gaming correspondents, Will <laughs> and Graham, because uh, this is not flight gear related. So I'm <laughs> can't help. No, it is not. <laughs> 
So what this means that if you've got a Steam game, you can share it with people anywhere in the world. I must admit, I've not tried it, but I've tried a similar thing on the PlayStation Network. It's actually that you can play a two-player game, you know, where you'd normally be sat in the same room with two controllers. And you could play a game like that, basically streaming the game to somebody else's PC somewhere else in the world, and they can play as if they're sat on your couch as the second player. Is it like the old networking games of yore, uh, where the person who's running the server on their local machine has way better lag time and can murder the other person with great ease? I think you're right, unless they add kind of latency locally or at least measure it. Um, yeah, and some of those games are going to be very Twitch-based games. Um, but, I mean, it'll be things like um, like cooperative games. Like, I think Overcooked is a good good example where you're kind of in a kitchen and you're, hmm. you're all cooking food together, and it's quite a good game to play with kids, actually, <laughs> and stuff. But I, it's, it's okay. a neat feature. <laughs> and, but also, I think, importantly, sets a precedent for Steam and Valve and its streaming technology. This sounds a lot more attractive than Stadia to me, which launched last week, this week, I don't know, recently anyway, um, the Google's version, which is all running Linux on the back end, but um, doesn't allow, at least yet, for this game sharing business. So um, I, I cannot believe that you pay all that money to uh, subscribe to Stadia and then have to pay $100 for the likes of Red Dead Redemption 2 Ultimate Edition. Madness. Also, when, I mean, I looked at some of the graphics comparisons, and it's not even like top tier graphics performance. I mean, in terms of the quality of Red Dead Redemption, for example, you're still better off with a high end GPU back at home, which admittedly is expensive. But I thought the least that Google could do was make it absolute max settings and everything. Yeah, I heard that some of the 4K stuff is upscaled. So they are sending you a 4K stream, but it's basically just upscaled from 1080p. So what's the point of that? Yeah. But it's, uh, it's early days for Stadia. But this does sound cool if you're into games, but I don't know, I'm not, so whatever. Um, so what's this Half-Life Alex business? Like, I've heard this meme that, like, we've been waiting for Half-Life 3 and now they've sort of delivered it, but not quite. So Half-Life is a game, it's a series of games, like Half-Life 1 and 2, well, there's actually some, like, eight different titles, but basically Half-Life 1 and then two episodes for Half-Life 2. And people have been waiting for three for, I don't know, over a decade, 13 or 15 years. Valve has obviously, this was made by Valve, has, has started to make a fortune via its Steam platform since then and diversified into all kinds of things. And and, and made other successful games as well, um, things like Portal and um, Dota. So it really looked like they were never going to revisit the Half-Life franchise. However, it's no secret they've also been really into virtual reality, even though there's lots of hate in the gaming community for it. Um, Valve have really got behind pushing their own hardware and their own platform with Steam VR, and so just this week, or yeah, last week, they've announced Half Life Alex, which I think is a prequel to Half Life Two. If you're following this, and Alex is one of the characters in Half Life Two, um, and it's going to be available for Steam VR only, only as a VR title, and. It doesn't mention whether it's going to be Linux, which is surprising because everything they've done so far has been kind of, it's had that Steam VR has official Linux support, even if it runs quite poorly. So far, it just says Windows only, but it could also be that this is a very much a placeholder because the game is out in March 2020. Yes, the Pharonix article, Michael says that it is going to be available for Linux, but then if you look at the Steam page, there's only a Windows logo there. Mm. And it could be Proton. I think that's the thing that people won't be sure about. I mean, it'll, I'm sure it will work with Proton. 
Um, and Valve's own kind of demo stuff work well with Linux. Um, so there's no reason why they don't already. And the Source 2 engine and the toolkit that this is all being built with undoubtedly works for Linux. So maybe it's coming after the first release. I don't know. And you've got a VR headset, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I've got the um, HTC Vive, which was actually developed by Valve and then kind of the IP given to HTC when Oculus was bought by Facebook so that Valve still had some skin in the VR game. So are you going to buy this then? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I do have a Windows machine um, and play VR in it. And I, I've said it before, I know loads of people think it's crazy VR, but it's just, I just love it. If it, Flat games seem weird to me and the fact that they can combine this with the Half-Life universe is pretty exciting for me. Fair enough. Well, you'll have to report on it uh, around Easter then when you get it, if they do deliver it on time. So let's talk about the Pine phone. I've ordered this, the Braveheart edition. It is now available, at least as we record. Um, and so this is, um, we must have talked about the Pine phone loads before. It's its aimed at Linux OSs, essentially, mobile Linux OSs. The Braveheart edition is not going to come with an operating system, so you're going to have to flash your own. That's why it's called the Braveheart Edition, and it's going to be a little bit rough around the edges generally. Um, but it is looking like it's going to support Ubuntu Touch and Postmarket OS with KDE uh, Plasma Mobile initially. And it, but it's pretty low spec. It's pretty low price. I think after taxes and stuff, it's going to work out at about 150 ish quid. It depends on the import duty. That can be a bit hit and miss, apparently. So, uh, yeah, I've bought one, and um, they, they say they're going to dispatch in either December or January, so I'm probably thinking mid-January-ish by the time I get it. Yeah, I haven't ordered one. I haven't ordered one either, um, and I think it's an interesting question when we've all been waiting <laughs> for a phone like this for so long. I haven't been waiting for one at all. <laughs> yeah, you use a fucking iPhone, so you can just shut up. Yeah, well, I, I've bought all the daft shite that came out. Like, I had two Firefox fucking phones that were useless and like weren't even fit for landfill. I wouldn't disgrace the dump by sending it to them. <laughs> and... Uh, I've, you know, I've been farting around with crappy lineage builds, which are just, I hate doing them because every time you just know it's going to fuck something up or turn into a brick or you got the wrong version, like you got the three and not the three T, like I did that once. Thank fuck. I was able to get that back to life afterwards, but just stupid stuff like that where you just go, why can't we just install the distro to a phone? And yeah, I didn't buy it either. So I don't know why. I I think it's because my phone works and I don't have a spare 150 to just chuck at it. Hmm. I just wish it was a bit better spec and then I could kind of warrant getting it. But it's, I'm probably just going to have another phone carcass knocking around that I wouldn't, won't use other than for experimentation. It just seems like a luxury too far. To be honest, if I drop my phone tomorrow, I'd be happy to switch to it because I don't think the spec is that bad. I mean, because you won't have horrific Java shite on top of it, though. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, but then the, the app ecosystem for any of the OSs for it aren't great and the OS is they're, they're kind of in reasonable shape but they're not in the sort of daily driver shape yet so I, I don't know I don't think th- well I mean I couldn't use it is the bottom line as my main phone but I do look forward to playing with it and um, I was expecting it to sell out quite quickly because I think it's a fairly limited run but it hasn't sold out yet after just over a week so I don't know it seems that people sort of talk the talk and want a Linux phone but then um, realize that the reality is it's going to be a secondary phone and it, it's going to have these early adopters testing it and improving it and maybe the sort of second or third generation will be the one for mainstream use. I, I don't know, really. 
No, I think that's exactly what it is. People have experimented with the Linux phones over the last few years. They've had an Ubuntu phone or they've reflashed with their custom Android builds. Um, and they're aware of the limitations now. And they've probably already settled on a daily driver. Uh, and as Graham was saying, it's just a little bit too expensive to have as a toy. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offer VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use distros like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS and FreeBSD or container distros like CoreOS and Fedora Atomic or you can upload your own custom image. You can either start with one of those distros or you can just go for a one-click app like WordPress or Discourse or GitLab and everything's set up for you out of the box. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month and they have very straightforward pricing that scales with the resources that you want to use. They also have CPU-optimized droplets and memory-optimized droplets so you can set up exactly the system that you need. They have great backups and the cloud firewall feature means that you can block traffic before it even gets to your droplet. You can attach block storage or object storage to your droplet, which is very straightforward. And they even have managed Kubernetes if containers is more your thing. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, KDE Corner then. Um, KDE Neon Snapcraft extension. Yeah, so there was already a KDE build content plugin, but uh, they went one better to get a extra set of packages uh, icons, themes, framework, and it's all shared. So all the snaps can be reduced in size and install much quicker and reuse the same sort of uh, code base for everything. Um, and that was released just there. Now, I haven't tried it because you have to be on the Edge channel to try it. Um, but I'm hoping that it could maybe push snaps in quite a good direction and start get people using them far more, um, especially when there's so many good apps on KDE that maybe some people are put off by the fact that they don't use the libraries and then they don't use a snap because they think it's each time is going to pull in every KDE library under the sun for each one. Um, so I think it's quite a good move. Um, and I'm kind of hoping it makes some of the snaps that are things like Telegram look a bit better in KDE. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm hoping for that because the KDE or the Telegram snap in KDE doesn't look quite right for the file dialogues and stuff. And KDE are hiring an experienced project manager. Yeah, that's right. I think you put this one in, Graham. Um, yeah, I just want, I mean, a perfect Linux jobs, you know, Linux jobs in general are, are difficult, especially when you're outside of the kind of clique or community. And I think any any opportunity to work on something you love is, you know, just give it some exposure. So this is a project coordinator for K KDE, which sounds like an awesome job to me. You've got to support the KDE goals process through organizing meetings, coordination and progress reporting, help plan, organize and facilitate de development sprints, that kind of thing. And the requirements, qualifications seem quite modest. A couple of years of experience in project management, but they seem very open. Um, and the KDE team, I'm sure, are very embracing of people who are enthusiastic and want to get involved. And it isn't a full-time 40-hour-a-week job either. I think they're, they say it's only 15 hours negotiable and it's a per hour that they're willing to pay as well. So, I mean, that could really help somebody out who's also doing some other work too. So Yeah, and it's work from home. 
you could squeeze this into your schedule failing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely could. I, I would definitely be the best person to get involved with project management. <laughs> Mr. Get it in just before the deadline. Every fucking project. Oh, God, why didn't I do it weeks ago? <laughs> On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And if you want to join those people, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. There's various ways there. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And I should mention that I was on Linux Lads recently, uh, season three, episode five, that was released on Sunday, a couple of days ago, probably as you're listening to this. And um, yeah, that was good fun. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And on said episode, I talked a bit about Fostalk Live, so I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to do it in 2020, but I'm thinking about it. The time has come to start thinking about it. And um, it has come to my attention that the Harrison pub where we usually do this is open earlier than in previous years. Well, the last year, well, this year, it was open from lunchtime onwards and i only found that out a few weeks before when i was just double checking that it hadn't like shut down or whatever it's a great venue you picked you have to worry about that type of thing well you never know pubs shut down left right and center in london um anyway so that affords us a potential opportunity instead of starting at six o'clock and just doing the live shows we could maybe do some stuff before the live shows like have some workshops or talks or whatever could maybe start at lunchtime and have a bit of an unconference type feel maybe so i wanted to sort of gauge interest i mean as people who may or may not come to this event you lot what do you think about that do you think it would be too long as Stuart language told me and people will just be knackered by the end and the live shows will be shit as a result of it you say knackered you mean pissed <laughs> yeah tired and emotional <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a genuine concern that if we all start at lunchtime, nobody will be able to resist the bar. But I love the idea of it expanding slowly into something more than just the live shows. Yeah, I really like the idea as well. I mean, maybe maybe not as door opening times until midnight, because <laughs> mm. I know what I'm like. But um, I, I, I do feel like it goes far too fast, you know, when you get there, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock and... and by the but you barely blinked and the whole day's over and it's such a shame because it'd be great if it lasted longer so maybe try a couple of hours earlier and see what happens especially for those of us who don't have to take just a train to get there like <laughs> yeah mm. yeah yeah that's true so yeah i don't know people who would come to this event let me know let us know um late night com slash contact or get me on twitter or whatever do you think it's a good idea would you be willing to help out and and make it happen and, and what should we do in the various hours that we could get in there before six a live synth performance yes <laughs> oh you've said it now i think that's a promise <laughs> i think we had enough of that last time <laughs> this episode is sponsored by cdn 77 go to cdn 77.com and they are a UK-based CDN provider with an end-to-end video processing and delivery platform as their standalone product called Streamflow. They sponsor a bunch of great open-source projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, Gentoo, and Funtu. And one of their standout clients is the European Space Agency, who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all around the world. They're a real innovation leader. They were the first CDN to implement a lot of new features like HTTP2 and Broccoli compression. And they don't outsource anything. Everything's developed and managed by their own team, including their own DDoS protection. 
and they can push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine through their optimizations. All their servers are running Debian, and the vast majority of them are physical machines with an overall network capacity of more than 14 terabits per second. And they've got 35 points of presence in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, with daily peaks regularly exceeding 5 terabits per second. They've got great 24-7 live support and flexible pricing with both great value monthly plans and pay-to-go options. You can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card needed, and if you do stick with them after that, you can get a 40% bonus if you mention Late Night Linux to sales or tech support. So, for example, if you topped up by $1,000, you get $400 on top of that. I hosted the MP3 for an episode of the JRS podcast on CDN77, and it was really easy to set up and link to it, and I had no complaints about the speed from anyone. So go to cdn77.com and start delivering new content. So, Will, you have got a new job, and you've been at it for two weeks now. This is your third week that you're starting. And instead of using an Ubuntu laptop all day, every day, they have forced you at gunpoint to use a Mac. Well, no, not really. I presume you could use an Ubuntu laptop if you wanted to, but they provided you with a Mac and sort of expect you to use it. Yeah, they offered me a choice of different hardware, and the the Mac seemed like the most interesting, I think. I've I've never used a Mac before, like at all, um, other than touching somebody else's and and just trying to open a browser or something <laughs> shut up is that just in the library or starbucks <laughs> i'm sorry i can't help myself fondling your computer so what's your first impression of it compared to linux then it'll be all right when it's finished is my view <laughs> oh it's, wow it, it's very confusing. Now, I know that a lot of people know this already, but it is extremely similar to GNOME, like extremely similar to GNOME. And I thought that would give me a sort of a bit of a head start, but no, it's, it reacts in, in really weird ways. The software, well, let's come on to the software afterwards. I think the hardware is the first thing that struck me about this thing. Um, the, the quality, the, the build quality of the, I don't know, the shell of the laptop, the metal that it's made out of, is extraordinary. I've had ThinkPads for years and years, and, I well, I think it's fair to say that the build quality on ThinkPads has gone down over the last years. But this thing is solid, well put together, sleek, just the right weight, just the right size. You know, everything about it has been thought about, and it feels like it's been designed carefully. But then you open the lid up, and then there's this absolute atrocity of a keyboard, and I don't understand how they got away with that. They've addressed that in the new hardware, apparently, but the keyboard on this thing is barely usable. It's it's really weird how they, they decided that that would be uh, a suitable keyboard for, for software developers, right? But to be fair, you got the one of the last ones before they have changed it to the 16-inch MacBook Pro. So it was a really bad time to get it. So you're now stuck with that shitty keyboard forever, pretty much. But why did they make it with a shitty keyboard in the first place? Uh, to make it thinner, I think, mm. is the bottom line. Well, they shouldn't have done. I didn't. They didn't ask me. And if they would have done, <laughs> I would have told them. 
Um, so, so yeah, so yeah. Keyboard aside, the touchpad actually is very nice. Um, they, I don't know if they've got some sort of haptic feedback thing going on, but it feels like it it goes down into the laptop much further than it actually does, which is quite nice. Um, but you can also use it with with quite a light touch as well. Um, and then the biggest thing that just wowed me, just just was not expecting it, was the sound out of these laptop speakers. I've never heard anything like it. It's sort of full, rich, bassy sound out of a tiny little laptop. It's it's amazing. It's if you've never heard one of these things, then get a demo because it is extraordinary that how they can get such good sound out of this thing. Um, so software wise, then being similar to GNOME, is it really that similar? It's, that's not my understanding of it. Although I don't have that much experience with Macs. Well, it, it appears to me that. One is a clone of the other and depends on which way you look at things. But it, I think it's extremely similar. Um, where it falls down is window management. Mac OS window management is atrocious. It just does weird things that you don't expect. Sometimes you make a window full screen and it will go full screen on, well, I'll so let me back up a bit. I'm using two external monitors here. So this may be unique to the way that I'm using it. But sometimes you make an app full screen and it will full screen on one monitor and the other monitor, all the windows will just whiz off to the side and it will be left with nothing on it. <laughs> and you're like, why have you done this? Is it supposed to do that? Have I broken it? And so you try and then unminimize that window. Uh, and sometimes it seems that the the title bar won't come back. Like you put the mouse at the top of the screen, sometimes the header bar will come down and you'll be able to click on the minimize, maximize button. And sometimes it won't. And if you don't know the secret magic keyboard shortcut, well, then you're screwed. Um, the only way I found out of, to, to get around it was to, to kill it until I learned the um, secret magic shortcut. Um, and it doesn't do... Uh, tiling windows. So, you know, in GNOME, you drag it to the top and it full screens, you drag it to the side and it half screens. It doesn't do any of that. And GNOME has done this for, I don't know, seven years, eight years, forever. I'm amazed that um, that Mac doesn't do this out of the box. I've had to buy a $10 app to let me do it. Uh, and in fact, that's the general story of me using Mac is that I try to make it work in the way that I expect it to work. So am I at fault here? Perhaps. But equally, Apple have got a lot to learn about making a decent window manager. can't believe we waited this long to do this segment. This is so, so good. I'm enjoying this so much. So Graham, you've got a fair bit of experience with macOS. Is this kind of ringing true to you? I think everything Will says is true. Um, it's very interesting hearing his perspective on it as a GNOME user coming to macOS like with fresh eyes um, because yeah I've used I've used it for a long long time um, on and off I mean, it's not my daily driver but I use it every week and used to use it at work there are things I, I think is right and it's and I guess I just kind of mentally sidestep those things like like you do on the Linux desktop for other quirks um, not wanting to be devil's advocate but I, I think Mac OS gets certain things right, and I think they've also really neglect. Apple's really neglected it over the last few years. I mean, things like the bug with the dual displays is just unforgivable when you're spending that kind of money on the hardware. But what I do like, like the the magic touchpad integration with the OS, the subtle things like the acceleration of the pointer, 
um, and the inertia in the two finger scroll. They always nail that. It's the same with the font kerning. You know, font kerning has always been a big thing since Jobs, you know, made it so in the 80s. But I, I really like the way things are rendered and retina graphics themselves scale really well. Totally agree with window management. I think it's because designers love to have stuff in full screen. I use something called Spectacle, which basically turns the screen into a tiling window manager. Um, A lot of innovation could have come from the Linux desktop. I've talked about Quicksilver before kind of turning into the the search. Um, And at the end of the day, it's just a a portal to your apps, um, and it's probably as powerful as the apps that you have to use. Things I like from macOS that I'd like to see on a Linux desktop are things like the notification tab on the far right that you can drag in. Um, And of course, the main reason why I use it is for audio, and the audio, even though it's super powerful and flexible, um, you don't get presented with any of that complexity. It usually just works. Yeah, I totally agree with the audio um, side of things. Uh, It just does a better job of handling multiple input and output devices and remembering the choices that you've made and making intelligent choices about which one it should switch to at which time. That That stuff all just works. Um, and the other thing that I was impressed with was the app story overall. Um, you can see that with snaps and flat packs and app image that Linux is going down this same route. But Apple, I think, have really done a good job of this. You download uh, a single binary and then you sort of go through a manual process of dragging it for, in a window from from one icon to another icon to install it, and then it's just installed, and you don't have to care about where it's installed. I guess there'll be some people who would desperately want to know where it's installed, Um, but as a relatively new user, I don't care. It just is installed, and it works, and it accesses my files, and and, everything just just works. Um, And it prompts you at the point at which you're going to do something which potentially is a security issue. It prompts you at that point, whether or not you want to allow this to happen. And this extends all the way down into the terminal. So if I wanted to, um, I don't know, W get something into my home directory, it would say, do you want to allow this application on the command line to download a file into your home directory? And you can approve or deny that. And in the same way, you can allow uh, microphone access and um, webcam access like you would on a phone. That side of things, they, I think they really have nailed. It's funny you talk about the software installation situation. I think that is fucking atrocious on the Mac because you've got three distinct ways that you can install software, either through the App Store, I think they call it the App Store or whatever, um, which is very much like a phone or like GNOME software or whatever, or you can download a, a disk image, which then you have to drag a binary across, which is quite straightforward. But they also have the third way. Some software installs very much like Windows with a kind of next, next, next dialogue type situation. And Linux is often accused of having fragmentation and having too many different ways to install stuff. And I think that macOS is an equal offender there. But you haven't come across that yet. I haven't come across any next, next, next finish installers yet. Um, But maybe I will do. Or maybe they're sort of getting phased out. I don't know. But I haven't seen that yet. But I can totally understand your point of view, though. Yeah, and I think Apple does a good job at hiding the mechanics a lot of the time. I mean, those things that we're calling executables aren't executables at all. They're like these packages that contain resource and data hooks and whole unzippable or unsquashable file systems hidden away with all of their dependencies. And Apple just does a great job of kind of, I don't, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for kind of thing. Carry on. 
What about the terminal then, Will? Like, how have you got on with that? Um, I don't feel quite as down with the terminal as I did on Ubuntu yet, but I'm getting there. I installed a third-party terminal emulator called iTerm, um, which does everything that I wanted it to do. The built-in one was okay, but this one just had a few more tricks up its sleeve and let me do tiling within the terminal itself, which was quite nice. But generally, it's it's behaving exactly as you would expect. Am I right in thinking that they've switched away from Bash in the latest version of macOS? Yeah, I think they use um, Zush now. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, which would confuse me because it's slightly different. There's just a few little things that are not the same as Bash. I think Bash is still installed, but yeah. Ah, right. And all the all the cool kids are using ZSH. I always pronounce things different to you guys. <laughs> ZSH, I bet that's what it is. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So do you think you're going to get used to working on a Mac then? Well, I will do, but at the point at which I'm used to it, I will have reconfigured it or installed third-party applications to make it work the way that it should work in my head. But, uh, which means yeah, the same as GNOME. And I'm getting pretty close to that now. The window management was the big one, but I'm happy with that now. The terminal I'm getting used to. Everything else is just you know icing on the cake at this point. Um, the settings app is, uh, is pretty good. You can search within the settings. And the way that they lay out the language feels very similar to the Unity 7 days where things were explained in a way that you could understand coming to it without any prior knowledge. They've put a lot of thought into that, which I think perhaps GNOME haven't done quite as good a job of in recent years. But yeah, generally, I will get used to it, and you know, it's fine. And if you use Linux, then you can probably use a Mac. But I think the Linux desktops are better. Well, speaking of, you've got a pretty nice laptop that's got Ubuntu still running on it. Have you found yourself using that at all? I forced myself not to. I did use it a couple of times when I needed to get into some um, SSH sessions where my keys were on my original laptop and I hadn't copied them over. And it felt like an old pair of slippers. You know, I was just in and busy and functioning straight away. I think I have lost some time, uh, not in considerable amount of time, to Googling how do I do dot, dot, dot on a Mac. And there are lots of results from people asking exactly the same questions. So I don't think I'm alone in struggling to understand the the intricacies of it. Um, and yeah, of course, GNOME feels like a, a comfy old pair of shoes. Often you will find people would say that operating system like uh, MacOS will get out of your way to allow you to get work done. Do you find that it actually does that? Or do you find that you spend more time sort of trying to do things because you're technical in a technical way? Or have you discovered that you're going to use it completely differently in the future? Uh, yeah, I certainly use it differently than I than I used to. Sorry, the screensaver kicked on as soon as I started talking and I was worried that it had stopped doing something, but it hasn't. Everything's fine. <laughs> I'm leaving that in because that's a good fucking... Uh... <laughs> fucking yes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do use it differently. I, I try not to care about how things work, just that they do work. Um, but the, the point of getting out of your way, it frust frustrates me. Um, the the dock doesn't always appear first time. Um, the window management, yeah, is just baffling at, at the best of times. Um, so it may well try and get out of the way, but I find that it's very difficult to get it back in the way when you actually want to get it to do something. Um, maybe I'll get used to that over the next sort of few months or so, but um, I don't know. It's It's more frustrating than I would have expected. 
Is part of the frustration that you can't just shout at the team who are making it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm I'm trying to be objective and um, you know use it as as other people would do it and treat myself the same as everybody else. I want it purple. <laughs> <laughs> no, that came from higher than Will. Let's uh, mm. let's be real on that. <laughs> what about the fact that when you close an application it keeps fucking running on the dock is that the same in Grime and stuff i don't know no no that's that is different um it only took me a few seconds to get used to that though and um, it does the same thing that unity did where you get the little dot in the um dock so that you know that it's still running and you can right click on that and quit it from there um but the sort of apps that i'm running I would expect to stay running when I'd close them. So, you know, Spotify, for example, right? You, you close the window, you expect it to keep running. Um, things don't integrate into the icon bar bit at the top, the top right, as much as I would have expected. Telegram does. Spotify, I don't think, does, which is a bit weird because it does on uh, on Ubuntu or on Linux. So, yeah, it's a it's a bit confusing, but I think you quickly get used to that. You know the way Jobs was famous for saying they were ho- people were holding the phone incorrectly. Therefore, there's this sort of overarching sort of wheel tell you how to use your computer. Do you worry that on the next version that comes out, you're going to have to relearn all this again? Oh, I hope not. I don't think I will. <laughs> it's, it's too late for me. I'll just install Ubuntu in a virtual machine and be done with it. Excellent. This has been very rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks when I might be talking about the Chromebook that I got today, but we'll see. Until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.